frog walks into a bank and approaches the teller whose nameplate says, Patricia Wack. Miss Wack, I'd like to get a $50,000 loan to take a vacation. Patty looks at the frog in disbelief, first of all, because it's a frog talking. Second of all, he wants to borrow $50,000 and asks his name. And the frog says, Kermit Jagger. My father is Mick Jagger. It'll be fine to authorize the loan because I know your manager. Patty explains that he will need to secure the loan with some collateral. Sure, how about this, said Kermit, as he produces a tiny porcelain elephant about an inch and a half tall, bright pink, and perfectly formed. Very confused, Patty explains that she'll have to consult with the bank manager about this and disappears into the back office. Patty walks into the manager's office and proceeds to tell her, there's a frog called Kermit Jagger out there who claims to know you and wants to borrow $50,000 and he wants to use this as collateral. And Patty holds up the tiny pink porcelain elephant. I mean, what in the world is this? And the bank manager looks back at her and says very matter-of-factly, it's a knick-knack, Patty Whack. Give the frog alone. His old man's a rolling stone. <laughs> There's your laugh for the day. It's the last one you'll have in this sermon. <laughs> no. There's a point to that. It just goes to show that it's not what you are or even who you are that guarantees results but who you are connected to, okay? And nothing is more essential to our souls than this as it relates to our practice of prayer. Who you're connected to. In talking with some of you, I have come to the realization that in the last couple of messages uh, before Glenn preached last week that I did on prayer, that kind of touched some people's you know, a nerve with some people. And I thought that it might not hurt to round out this little mini-series with an aspect of prayer that we dare not forget. That is, the idea that in order to pray effectively, we all desperately need help. We need help. In other words, experiencing vibrancy in our prayer life is not just a matter of making it a priority. That was the first message. And it's not just a matter of power, that was the second one, but it's also a matter of partnership. Partnership with the Holy Spirit. Amen? So, here's the other way I was going to start the sermon, and now you're going to get it. In all seriousness, a couple of weeks ago, a very good friend of mine, member of this church, Got a phone call. He was experiencing some headaches. Had an MRI done. Doctor called him with the results of the MRI. And the person on the other end of the phone, which was not the doctor, told him that they read the MRI results and, and said that he had a brain aneurysm. And the person on the other end of the phone with such bedside manner said, it's so serious that actually if it ruptures, you'd be dead before you hit the floor. Oh, really? <laughs> How would you like that message? And so that propelled this man and his family and everyone around him into this, this crisis situation, right? What do you do with that? 
Well, you pray, right? But how do you pray? Just to make a long story short, he was in church that next week, and I was preaching on prayer. And after the service, we all gathered together around him and prayed over him. One of the first things that came to mind in the prayer was that, Lord, the next time that they go in and do any kind of looking at this situation, whether it's through tests or whatever, that they would find that there's nothing even there. Well, long story even longer, he did have some other tests, and it turns out there was no aneurysm. So here's the question. Was that an answer to prayer, or was that a mistake on the first physician's reading of the MRI? What was it? I want to read you something out of Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, that might lend us a little bit of help in this area. He says, partly as a result of this social force towards skepticism, which remains very powerful even when we step into Christian congregations and colleges for ministers, very few people ever develop competence in their prayer life. This is chiefly because they are prepared to explain away as coincidences the answers that come to the prayers that they do make. Often they see this as a sign of how intelligent they are. Ha, he says, I am not so easily fooled as all of that. And in their pride, they close off the entrance to a life of increasingly confident and powerful prayer. They grow no further, for they have proven to their own satisfaction that prayer is not answered. It's sad, isn't it? So I'm not about to attempt to answer the question as to whether it was a coincidence or whether it was God answering prayer and doing a miracle, but you be the judge of that. I like to think that God answers prayer. See, this is a short request and sincere request in the 11th chapter of Luke's gospel that really kind of helps us identify with the disciple of Jesus And I guess we could all relate to this and we could all wish that we had the opportunity that these disciples had to stand face to face with Jesus and ask him this question. And we don't know where exactly this took place, but they stumbled upon Jesus who was in prayer. And there must have been something very distinct about the way that Jesus prayed because they they watched him and they asked him this question, Lord, teach us to pray. How many of you have longed for Christ's help in this area of prayer? Lord, teach us to pray. Have you ever quietly cried out in your own insecurity, Lord, I really don't know how to pray. Please teach me how. I don't know how to make the time. I don't know what to ask for in certain situations or even what kind of words to use. Lord, teach me to pray as you prayed. We need help with prayer. Like the disciples, we really don't know the hows or what's about prayer. And no matter how long you and I practice the art of prayer, no matter how many books we read on the subject, no matter how many seminars, workshops, conventions, classes, prayer summits we attend, no matter how many different kinds of plans that we make and structures that we employ to help us in our prayer life, the disciplines that we practice, 
And please don't get me wrong. All of those things are very good things to sharpen our focus. No matter how we experience those things, no matter how knowledgeable or disciplined we are in prayer, we all realize right up front that there are times when all that we've learned and discovered falls way far short of the mark. Times when we prayerfully hit the wall, so to speak. There are times when we finally come face to face with the reality that without the Holy Spirit's help, our prayers don't rise past the roofs of our mouths. And the key to prayer is not so much in the what or in the where or in the how or in the who in terms of who we are, but it's in the who we're connected to. The Spirit's assistance is the key to our prayers. The reason is quite simple. In our human frailty and depravity, we simply don't know how to pray effectively. Our words left to themselves are completely powerless, but in partnership with the Holy Spirit, who disables our weaknesses and discerns God's will, our prayers become effective and can accomplish things. Right? James chapter 5, verse 16 says this, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You believe that? Now, I struggled as to whether to preach this text today or not because looking back at this text in Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to be if you want to turn there in your Bibles, I realized that I just preached on this text just four years ago. I don't dare ask how many of you remember that because I would just would be very disappointed. But in the spirit of 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Peter writes these words. He says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present within you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So I'm going to remind you this morning that the Holy Spirit's assistance in our prayers is probably one of the most overlooked aspects of His entire ministry. And getting a good handhold on the Spirit's role in this area of our lives helps us to overcome our fear, fears like praying in public, saying wrong words, of not knowing how to pray or what to pray for or how to pray in difficult situations. This text The Holy Spirit's assistance helps us to overcome discouragement if we don't see the answers immediately. And it replaces our anxiety over things that we have no control over and instead replaces it with a peace of mind. The first thing we need to learn about prayer is, is we must learn to lean on the Spirit's help. Lean on the Spirit's help. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. In the same way, Paul writes, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How does he assist us? Just two points in these two verses. And the first one we're going to deal with this week and the second one next week. The the first one is simply this. 
The Holy Spirit disables our weakness in this area. And he does it by supporting us in our infirmity. Look at what it says in verse 26 again. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. In the same way as what is the first question you should ask. When Paul says in the same way, what's he referring to? Romans chapter 8 deals specifically with the helping aspect of the Spirit's work in the believer's life. Going back to the beginning of the chapter and reading it through, we find, first of all, in verse 1, that the Spirit acquits us of guilt. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verses 2 through 11, he affirms our new nature as believers, okay? From verses 12 to 17, Paul says he assures us of our blessed adoption as his children. Specifically, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Amen? And then in verses 18 to 25, Paul reiterates here that he accompanies us in our present frustrations in which we groan. We groan the same way that the creation groans, waiting for our full redemption as Christ's children. And now we get to verse 26. After all of this groaning, it says, in the same way that the Spirit does all of these other things, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. He assists us in our human weakness, especially in the area of prayer. It's no surprise that Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper, is it? Because he helps us in our weakness. The King James Version wrongly translates this as infirmities. Anybody got a King James Version with them? Does it say infirmities? Okay, that's plural in your Bibles. But in the actual original language, it's singular. It should read infirmity or weakness. In most of the modern translations, it's a singular word. Paul's calling us to an awareness of our frailty in general as human beings. The word is all-encompassing. The truth is, is that in our human condition, physically speaking, emotionally speaking, and spiritually speaking, we are nothing but one giant weakness. That's good news, isn't it? As Gerald Sitzer puts it, we pray as fragile, broken people, don't we? By the way, I'm going to quote from a few books this morning. If you're interested in these books, I'm going to recommend them to you right now. That's the first one. Gerald Sitzer, When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer. These three books that I'm going to give you this morning profoundly impacted my life. That's a great book. I recommend you read it. One of the first things we need to understand whether we're talking about praying, serving, witnessing, counseling, preaching, teaching, or any other practice of the Christian life, is that the Spirit is continually, continually helping us. That's His ministry. 
It's not that he helps us on those occasions when we feel particularly weak or a tad weak and we can't do it ourselves. On the contrary, Paul is stating clearly here that we are in a constant state of weakness and we always need a helper. That's why Jesus gave him to us. That's why Jesus said he will not only be with you, but he will be in you. Jesus said that he would ask the Father to send us a helper, that we would not be left as orphans in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 18. Now, this word picture is one of helpless children. Orphans are helpless children who need support and strength. That's us, my friends. That's us. That's me and you. Without him, that is us. Norwegian theologian Ole Halsby settled on the single word helplessness as the best summary of the heart attitude that God accepts as prayer. He wrote these words. He says, only he who is helpless can truly pray. We have this propensity within us, prideful human beings, to give ourselves way too much credit, don't we? It is He, the Spirit, who dwells within us that convicts the world of sin. He guides people into the truth and He brings glory to Jesus Christ. Not us. It's the Spirit that does that. It's not our words, no matter how skillfully they're delivered or theologically accurate they may be. The greatest communicator in the world is nothing without the helper to give life to His words. The respected commentator G. Campbell Morgan said it well. He said, without the Spirit, a preacher's words can be, quote, homiletically brilliant, verbally fluent, theologically profound, biblically orthodox, and spiritually useless. The same exact thing can be said about prayer. It's the Spirit who makes it happen. It's not that we're sometimes unable to pray. We're always unable to pray without the Spirit's help. He helps us in our weakness, Paul says. And as Philip Yancey put it, prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. That's the next book I want to recommend to you, and I highly recommend this one. Philip Yancey, Prayer, Does It Make a Difference? Excellent, excellent book. It's a page-turner. And as Philip Yancey, in his typical style, he does his research well and he covers the whole gamut. Prayer is a declaration of dependence upon God. But don't think that that means that we can be totally passive about it. Prayer is a partnership. We can't do it alone, but the Spirit won't do it without us. Augustine said it better than anyone. He said, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Partnership is the point Paul is making here. When he said the Spirit also helps us, he used a very, very unique word. In fact, it's only used twice in the entire New Testament, and it means literally to take hold together over and against something. It means working together at the same time with someone in order to take an equal share in the work. The only other time this word is used in the New Testament is in Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. If you want to turn there, you can. Familiarize with the context. Martha, 
is frustrated with all the stress and the work of preparation and pleads with Jesus for help. You remember that scene? Mary and Martha and Jesus, right? Martha, frustrated, says, Lord, tell her to help me, would you? There's the word, help. She's just sitting there. I've got a lot to carry, and I could use her help. Tell her to share this load and hold up her end of the work. That's basically what Martha's saying. That's the picture. That's the picture. Verse 40 there in Luke chapter 10. Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. When Paul says the Spirit helps our weakness, it means that he comes to our aid. He does his part. Notice the fact that Paul doesn't say that he does everything. He didn't say that, does it? He helps us, it says. As Kent Hughes suggests, the Holy Spirit doesn't give armchair advice. He rolls up his sleeves and he helps bear our weakness. He balances out the load. He doesn't relieve us of our responsibility as if we had no part in the matter. Eugene Peterson, former pastor, professor, um, writer, poet, all those things, he's the one that gave us the paraphrase, the message, writes that prayer takes place in the middle voice. In the middle voice. That's, that's kind of a language type of a statement. In grammar... The active voice is when we take action. The passive voice is when we receive the action of another. But in the middle voice, we both act and are acted upon. Prayer is exactly that. We don't manipulate God and we are not, nor are we manipulated by God. More accurately, we are involved in the action and participate in its results, but do not control it, nor do we define it. Here's a third book I want to recommend to you. It's by Richard Foster, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. Again, phenomenal book on prayer. He writes in that book, I remember one night well, even though it was many, many years ago, I was in charge of a gathering of several hundred teenagers, and the meetings had gone fairly well. The speaker of the evening had just finished and was inviting these young men and women to commit their lives to Christ. A hush fell over everyone. It was a tender moment. You know those times when just everybody's just like on the edge of their seats. But then, just then, a belt on one of the air conditioners broke. Or began to sp actually began to squeak. And a distracting, disconcerting screech echoed through the whole auditorium. And so Richard says, I began to pray. Lord, this is a special moment in the lives of these teens. Please, please stop that noise. Oil the belt. Blow up the motor. Do something. Anything was his prayer. And nothing happened. And a minor crisis of faith joined forces with my frustration. But soon, he said, I began to quiet down. And as I did, I heard this still small voice that said to me, why don't you go over and turn the blower off yourself? 
I was less than five steps away from the switch. In my youthful enthusiasm, I was expecting God to intervene by some divine fiat when what was needed was a simple action on my part. You see, prayer is a matter of disciplined partnership. One part our responsibility to do it, one part the Spirit's sovereignty to handle it. He balances out the load by taking hold of his end. He relieves us of the weight of the burdens as he works with us. That's why he's called the helper, or in the Greek, the paraclete. He's called that in the Gospel of John. And the word means one who comes alongside to help. One of the best biblical pictures of what the Spirit does as he assists us in prayer takes place in the Old Testament. If you want to turn there, Exodus chapter 17. You all know this this scene probably. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Exodus 17, 8, Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose men for us and go out and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joseph did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed, and when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek with his people and his people with the edge of the sword. That is a perfect picture of what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit helping us in our weakness. We can't hold up the burden of prayer. The Holy Spirit helps us to sustain it. He disables our weakness by coming to our aid, standing alongside of us, holding it up, the weight of our burden. He supports us, Paul says, in our infirmity. And the second way that he disables our weakness here is that he sustains us in our ignorance. Look at what it says. The Spirit, in verse 26 of Romans 8, the Spirit helps us our, it also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, our biggest weakness in prayer, according to Paul, and the reason we need that the Spirit to help us is our ignorance about things. It's not that we don't know how to go about the practice of prayer. Paul's not talking about the general characteristics of prayer, the form, the eloquence, the technique. He's talking specifically about the content, the what of God's will. We simply don't have the inside information on God's will in every circumstance, do we? Your prayers and mine need Holy Ghost reshaping, according to Tony Evans. Holy Ghost reshaping. Do we really know the needs in any given situation as God sees them? 
How many times does a request come for you and I to pray about something with the added comment, it's really hard to know just exactly what to pray for in this situation? You get prayer requests like that? Do we pray for healing, for deliverance, for God to take a person home? Do we ask for more conviction in someone's life, for more grace? Do we plead for mercy or ask for judgment on sin? How do we know God's will in all of these things? Quite frankly, we don't. And in the final analysis, praying in God's will is ultimately what will determine whether the prayer has a prayer of being answered, right? Because only the prayers that are according to God's will are the ones that get answered. That's why the Spirit's assistance is so critical, so essential. We just don't know all of the what's of God's will or what is necessary in any given crisis to accomplish that end. Even the most seasoned and faithful prayer warrior is at a disadvantage here. It's difficult enough to know God's will concerning our own needs, never mind the will of God for somebody else. But in light of that, some people decide, well, I just won't pray then. I mean, what's the point anyway? I mean, no prayer is better than a wrong prayer. Isn't that right? Wrong. Satan would love us to believe that. In fact, as Martin Lloyd-Jones suggests, he'll accuse us of not being much of a Christian at all simply because we don't know what to pray for. You can hear it, can't you? He says things like this. He says, you can't be much of a child of God. I mean, if you knew your father, you would always know what to ask for, like Jesus. But you don't know, do you? You're ignorant. You're frustrated. The fact is, you're not a child of God at all. Did you hear him say that? That's when we get discouraged and we don't pray. Don't buy into that. Make no agreements with that. Paul points out that in our human weakness, we don't always know God's will, but we've got a spirit that dwells within us that does. Amen? He's there to sustain us, and he's there, Paul says, to help us in our weakness, not in our absence. He's going to help us in our weakness, but he's not going to help us if we're not there. Our problem is that we think prayer is something we can master like carpentry or algebra. Practice makes perfect, right? The more you practice, the more, the better you get at it. Forget it, because we're never going to be perfect, are we? But we do need to practice. Here's the suggestion. Don't work so hard at trying to become the perfect prayer that you end up with spiritual indigestion. Understand very clearly at the outset that we are never in control. We never become totally competent. Actually, we should surrender all control and competence to God. To pray, wrote Emily Griffin, means to be willing to be naive. Are you willing? Are you content in walking into a situation and being able to pray by letting the Spirit lead you? Or do you stress out over the fact that you always have to have the right words to say? Why don't pre people pray in public? Well, I could not pray like him. 
I couldn't pray like her. They pray so well. Is that what God's after? You see, most often, Richard Foster says, discernment and prudence operate hand in glove. I have an acquaintance, he says, I shall call Derek, who once went to the hospital to visit a friend who was nearing the valley of the shadow of death. As Derek rode up the elevator, he thought he might just command that disease away. But when he got into the room, he saw that his friend was sound asleep. And Derek did an unusual thing just then. He went to the foot of the hospital bed and prayed the prayer for guidance. He said, Lord, how do you want me to pray? Immediately, he sensed an inward check about commanding this disease away. In fact, he felt no prompting to pray at all. Does God really do that? It seemed best simply to just visit with his friend. So Derek went over to his friend, touching him on the shoulder to wake him, and said, Good morning, I just came by to visit with you a bit. Derek's friend responded weakly, but very gratefully, with these words. He said, Oh, I am so glad. Everyone has been coming in here and laying their hands on me, trying to make me well. And all I want to do is go home to heaven. And I was hoping someone would just come by and visit with me. You see? Prayer is a lot like little children coming to their parents and talking about the daily stuff of life. Sometimes they have crazy, selfish, and surprisingly foolish comments and requests. But as parents, we're moved by the fact that they came to us, mixed motives and all, right? How grieved would we be if they never came to us at all? Friends, I believe God longs for us to come to Him in our prayers. And I believe that prayer is having an intimate conversation with the one who brought us into existence. A conversation, mind you, not a monologue. It's a two-way street, isn't it? He is grieved when we don't listen and especially when we don't respond to His promptings. How God must grieve at my stone-cold silence when all day long all He's trying to do is communicate with me. Friends, we are the work of God's hands, His precious creation. How do you think He feels when we fail to respond to Him? And I think one of the greatest reasons that we failed to speak to God is because we failed to hear God. Mark Buchanan writes these words. He says, our speaking comes out of our listening. What we say comes out of what we hear. We have to be people who listen day and night to God. But there are so many voices, and there is such little time to listen. Silence is the condition for true listening. But if we're never silent, how do we ever listen? And he says, but I have too little of it. My existence is a welter of noise. How do you feel about that? God is alive and all around me, and he's in me all day long, and he's always speaking to us in his still small voice, not to mention in a thousand other ways that I may not even be recognizing. Sometimes he may even be shouting in my direction. And yet I fail to hear. I fail to listen. As Teresa of Avila so frankly put it, she said, God is not really silent. 
we are deaf. Henry Nouwen noted that the root of the word absurd is the Latin word for deaf. Absurdus. Absurdness is deafness, where the voice that speaks the truth in love, that wounds to heal, that gives clear guidance amidst many false enticements, that voice is lost in the cacophony. All this noise around us, we cannot hear it. We are deaf to it. For lack of silence, our lives are absurd. Friends, we are commanded in Scripture to pray in so many places, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray unceasingly, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Devote yourselves to prayer. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Luke 18, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And he told them a parable so that they might realize that at all times they should be praying and not losing heart. Jesus even taught us how to do it. But we need to realize that sometimes we just don't know exactly what to say. That's why we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul was no stranger to that frustration. When Paul wrote the words of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, notice he didn't hesitate to include himself in the group. He didn't say, you don't know how to pray as you should. He said, we don't know how to pray as we should, didn't he? Because Paul made his own mistakes, didn't he? He didn't always know how best to pray. In fact, there was a classic biblical text in which Paul experienced this intensely, this intensely confounding aspect of prayer that each of us struggle with this frustration that we feel when our prayers go unanswered. Paul experienced that. Next week, we're going to look at that great text in, in some detail. In fact, in order to prepare yourself for that message, I would like you to meditate on a poignant question that is both troubling and very helpful for the next week. So write this down. Contemplate this question. What would happen... If all of our prayers were answered in the way we would like them to be, think about that one. What would happen if all of your prayers, my prayers, were answered in the way we'd like them to be? You see, our ignorance in prayer emphasizes our need for a helper, but that should not stop us from praying. The Spirit's assistance is the key to our prayers. He disables our weakness. And out of that, we develop a new desire to pray freely, a new confidence to pray boldly, and a new intimacy to pray simply. Freely, boldly, simply. And isn't that really what you all long for in a prayer life? To pray freely, boldly, and simply? Peter Marshall, pastor and former chaplain of the United States Senate, once remarked that God has equipped us to go deep sea diving, and instead, we wade in bathtubs. My friends, when it comes to prayer... Through the partnership of the Holy Spirit, you and I have been equipped to go deep. 
So let's get out of the bathtub and go deep. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the hope that we have in this text of Scripture, that we know that we have a helper in our desperate times of need when we try to pray and we just don't have a clue. Father, let us not let that deter us and let us not listen to the voice of the enemy which seeks to dismantle us. But may we submit ourselves totally to the Holy Spirit who disables our weakness. He helps us in our infirmities. And he helps us in our ignorance. We praise you, our Father, for who you are. And may our relationship blossom more and more as we engage in conversation with you. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.